Hello, everyone, and welcome to How Is This Movie? My name is Dana Buckler, and thank you for taking just a little time out of your day to listen. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at How Is This Movie, like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash howisthismovie, visit our website, howisthismovie.net. There you can find all of our past episodes, including ones that are not available on the iTunes feed. And you can always email me with questions or comments at hitmpodcast at gmail.com. In previous episodes of this show, I've been lucky enough to interview a number of people who work in the film industry, from Jim Hemphill, Billy Corbin, and good friend of the show, Annalise. They all brought very interesting takes on the industry, from Jim's work on his award-winning film, The Trouble with the Truth, to Billy Corbin's crazy stories about what it took to make his documentary, Cocaine Cowboys, and Annalise's awesome stories about the directors she's worked with at Skywalker Sound. If you haven't listened to any of those episodes, I urge you to go back and listen to each of them. For this episode, I want to shift gears from behind the camera to in front of the camera. Have you ever dreamed of just up and moving to Los Angeles to pursue an acting career? Well, that's exactly what today's guest did. Austin James is an actor whose story is, simply put, amazing. I won't spoil it right now, but let's just say in a few short years, Austin went from small-town living to sharing screen time with one of the true living legends of cinema. Going into this interview, I really wanted to learn what life on the set of movies was like. Well, I learned that and so much more. I do want to point out that we did use Skype to conduct this interview, and as much as I want to say technology is just flawless these days, unfortunately, a couple times during this interview, the connection got a little bit shoddy, and again, I'll take full responsibility for that. Ultimately, I don't think it takes away from the interview at all, so please enjoy. So without further ado, here's my chat with Austin James. Let's do this. Okay, so Austin James... Welcome to How Was This Movie. I'm so thrilled that you could join us. And uh, you've had quite the uh, past few years. And I want to sort of chart, <laughs> you know, how you've ended up living in Los Angeles. Let's, t- let's sort of go to the beginning. Let's start at the sure. beginning. Well, the very beginning starts in, uh, in a town called Ocala, which I think you're familiar with. Uh, somewhat familiar with it, actually, yeah. recording, <laughs> recording as we speak in downtown o- Ocala. That's right. So, you know, I was, I was born there in uh, 1994, so that... I'll tell you how old I am, and uh, lived there for a year. My family's got a big background in in, in all things horses. So uh, my dad works with thoroughbreds. We grew up in rodeo and stuff like that. And so my dad was working uh, uh, at OBS there. Uh, and at about a year old, I moved to Texas and uh, split time between Texas and Florida, but mostly in Texas. So I, I'm a Texas boy. I think that's what I consider myself. Is this um, is this big city Texas? No. Oh no. Uh, where we moved to in Texas was uh, on a ranch. It was about 250 acres, um, and it was about 20 miles to get to a town. Uh, so that kind of gives you an idea of where I spent my time growing up. You know, we had my, my grandma owned a, uh, a convenience store about three miles away, and uh, we lived in a place called Tarpley. And it wouldn't even be on the map except for a little post office that got built there. So there's a post office and a general store, and that is it. What, what was that's a, all of Tarpley. What was a typical day like for you growing up? Well, it depending, you know, if I if I had school, it would be wake up at six o'clock, get ready for school, um, and then drive the twenty five miles in, uh, or at least the ten miles to the bus, and then the other fifteen miles in on the bus, and uh, go to school, and then come home and and work on the ranch until dinner, and, and then go in and have dinner and watch some TV, and then we don't, you know, the family watching TV, and we go to bed. If it wasn't school. Woke up at six o'clock, went out and fed the horses and worked on the ranch a little bit, came in for breakfast, went back out and worked till lunch, came in for lunch, went back out and worked till dinner and came in for dinner. <laughs> and so that was, those were my days. And, uh, that was, you know, living on the ranch, it's, we were, I'm one of five kids, so big family, but 
you know, uh, it takes a lot of work and it does take the whole family. So there was a lot of times where, you know, if we wanted to go do something, you know, fun with friends, it was not so easy because it's, it is a 25 mile drive to get there. And if you're not having school, then why are we driving 60 miles, you know, when we go there and back. And so uh, a lot of days were spent on the ranch. Our, uh, our one outlet was obviously uh, rodeo because we all grew up in it. And so every weekend, almost, um, we would travel, um, you know, two or three hours, sometimes 17, 18 hours, depending on where the rodeo was, and uh, post up for the weekend there and, and, and do the rodeo. So that was kind of our social uh, experiences growing up. That was where we did most of that. Well, let me ask you this, because you're talking to somebody who knows zero about rodeos. <laughs> what was a typical yeah. rodeo like for you? Okay. Well, you know, I got started in a little later than my brothers and sisters. Um, they were they were in it from the beginning, and uh, I didn't quite find my event until a little later on. But you go, like, say we did high school rodeos, and so we would go on a Friday um, afternoon after school and, and drive uh, about three hours to uh, Gonzales, Texas, and um, set up shop there. And, you know, we'd take our living quarters trailer and stuff, and that's what we'd stay in for the weekend. And obviously put the horses up in a barn and, and all of that. And uh, Saturday would be a rodeo, so we, we would do an event. And uh, my event was steer wrestling. So uh, if you're not familiar with that, it's where you're, you're on a horse and you decide that it's a good idea to jump off the horse and wrestle a steer to the ground as it's moving, you know, 35 miles an hour. So um, that was my event, you know. I didn't quite have the dexterity for team roping or any of that like my brothers and sisters, so I just kind of kamikaze it, you know. I just wasn't afraid. Well, let me ask you this. So growing up now, so you small town, no, not even small town, just small area in Texas. Just, yeah. just, just, small, just a speck on the Had map in Texas. A lot of Texas. space. A lot, lot of space. Lot of space. <laughs> what did you see sort of your career path? Mm. What did you see as your career path? I mean, did you just well, anticipate playing sports, maybe going to college, playing sports, maybe rodeoing full time? I mean, what was, what was in your, as a, say, a, like a 14-year-old, what was your plan? Yeah. Well, it was interesting because... My brothers and sisters, like I said, they kind of knew what they were going to do. They were, they were set on rodeo. My brother's a professional team roper now. And so they kind of knew that from a young age. And most 14-year-olds don't know what they're going to do, but I was surrounded by family that did. And so that was stressful for me. I, didn't, I, I wanted to know what my path was. And uh, I was always a really avid reader growing up, and I, and I did really, really well in school. And so, you know, I kind of thought that it would be going to an Ivy League school, um, getting, you know, scholarships to go there and, and do something, you know, ar- architecture related or, you know, numbers wise, because I'm good at math. And so it was kind of along that path. And that didn't seem very exciting to me, you know, especially if if my brothers and sisters are doing rodeo. Um, and I, you know, I had some interest, like I did, uh, my, my good event in school was pole vaulting, actually, of all things, which kind of goes hand in hand with steer wrestling. You know, you jump on a little pole and go 15 feet in the air. So I kind of had a propensity for those things, it seems. But uh it wasn't something that I was so passionate about that I knew that I wanted to do it for life. Okay. And so that was actually really stressful for me for the longest time. Um, it was something that I thought about often on what am I going to do when I grow up? Um, and nothing ever seemed quite right. You know, let's talk about your school just for a moment. Mm. A couple questions for you. Uh, first question, <laughs> I'm just going to fire a couple questions at you. First one sure. is uh, how big was the school you went to? Oof. And when you were in school, was there sort of uh, any type of drama classes being offered? I mean, anything, any kind of hint as to where you were going to end up? Well, my, so I went to a public school. It was called Utopia ISD in Utopia, Texas. I say it's a public school for good reason, because you wouldn't think it if you heard the numbers. 
in the school. Uh, there was about 19 kids in my graduating class. There was about 50 kids in the high school and 200 kids kindergarten through 12th grade. So this school was tiny. I don't think it could even be considered a 1A, even though that's what we were ranked as. We should be like a half A, you know. Right. <laughs> so, so we were tiny. You know, growing up there, uh, there wasn't a lot in, in the way of, you know, drama classes or anything like that. The only thing we had was a little one-act play that, that we did uh, as high schoolers. And so before that, there was nothing at all. You know, we had the, the, one, the one thing that we did have was a, uh, in sixth grade, we had this Christmas play that was put on. And me and my sister ended up being like the, um, the main characters in it because we basically, it was like about all these kids getting trapped in, in, uh, in school because there was like a, a snow blockage or something. And, and so they spend Christmas in school. And so we're like the janitors that, that um, moderate the whole thing. And so it's kind of, it was kind of funny. I had my first little taste of acting in sixth grade didn't even realize it, you know, because it was just something that was like mandatory for the class to do. But that one act play, you know, that was the one drama thing. And I didn't even do that before, you know, the uh, event that actually piqued my interest in acting originally. So, well, let's let's talk a little bit about that event that piqued your interest. As you say, I have throughout the years, I live very close to Orlando, as you're aware, we're about about 45 miles north of Orlando. And every once in a while, when I'm listening to the radio, I'll hear a commercial that sort of says, and I'm again, I'm paraphrasing here. I'm not quoting yeah. it verbatim. That uh, you know, do you think your kids have what it takes to be on Disney or on the Disney Channel or, <laughs> or anything like that? You know, give us a call. And of course, I paid no mind to those commercials. I sort of always right. thought that those things they probably weren't as legitimate as I uh, as they <laughs> as they promised to be. Uh, you sort of had an interaction with one of these commercials. And why don't you tell the listeners exactly how that turned out? That I did. You know, that that was my first even clue about what I was going to be doing, you know, for a living as a career. Um, and I was 15 years old at the time. I was coming home from school. And I had heard on the radio uh, that that same exact thing. Do you, do you want to be on the Disney Channel? Call this number. And so I thought, hey, that sounds cool. Yeah. And so I took down the number and I get home and I'm like, Mom, I, I want to call this number. And she's like, well, honey, I already did. You have an audition on Tuesday. And I was like, oh, okay then. You know, that was total mother's intuition thing because I, you know, I had never really talked to anyone about wanting to do that. It was just kind of in the back of my mind, you know, like we'd be watching NCIS as a family and, uh, and be like, yeah, I could do that, you know, that kind of thing. But, but nothing, nothing major. And so it was kind of a shock that she, that she did that for me. This was like the week before Thanksgiving in 2009. And so I go to this audition, let's call it. Where was it and at? And it was in Austin, Texas. So Which we drove about two away. and a half okay. hours. Okay. Yeah, and, and so we drove that two and a half hours to get there, which, you know, sounds like a lot. But when you live on a ranch in the middle of nowhere, we drove 45 minutes to get to the grocery store. So, you know, with, traveling for us was not a big deal, especially, you know, from rodeo and all that. We, we were big travelers. So, you know, so we drove that two and a half hours in. It was really funny because my sister actually had done this open call thing for a movie called True Grit. They were coming across Texas and, and auditioning all of the rodeo girls to try to find, you know, an actual uh, Western girl for, for their movie. And so she did this open call thing. So we drove into Austin, dropped her off at that and took uh, me over to my thing. And uh, there ended up being about a thousand kids uh, here auditioning for this thing. And we had prepared like a, like a TV commercial monologue thing, ended up having to do it in front of this camera that projected it to the whole room. 
And so that was like, I, I should have been so nervous looking back, but I wasn't at all. I was just having a good time. Let me ask you this. Was, they, it, was it well organized, this, this you first know, round? It, it, it was. I, I was actually shocked. You know, you come in and, and they, they had been doing this. They had about 200 kids in each room. So they, they'd been doing like sessions throughout the day and you got placed in a certain session. And so they organize you into this room and then they show this video of what this thing is. And what it is, is it's going to be a talent competition in uh, March of 2010, so six months after the fact, in, uh, in Orlando at the Swan and Dolphin Resort in Disneyland or Disney World. And so they show, and it was like all this hype video and stuff, and it looked all cool. And, 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 and so it looked like it was going to be really fun. And so you go to the back of the room and, and uh, interview with one of the staff, and then you go around the line and do your uh, TV commercial, and then that's it. Then you leave. And so I did my interview, and I was like, oh, I, I just killed that, like not even knowing what that meant. Like, I, you know, I was dressed up. And as a kid, like I was 15 years old and I was in like a button down shirt and slacks and dress shoes. Like I was, I wanted to look really nice for this. Like it's an interview, you know, so I should not even thinking, you know, as actors, we'll we'll all go, you know, in hoodies and stuff now. But, you know, so I I dressed up and and I did this TV commercial and, and that was it. And so we left and and a couple days later, we get a call and they say, "Um, actually, we want to call you back. Um, can you come meet with us because we think we want you to go to this event? And so we go uh, back to Austin Drive. It was Tuesday at this point. It was two days before Thanksgiving. And so we drive up into Austin and they say, okay, so we've called about 16 kids back out of this um, audition. So out of 1,000, they called about 16 back. And there's going to be about 1,000 kids from across the country coming to this thing in March. And we want you to come. And we said, oh, all right, awesome. Like, so right, great. Like, let's what, what's, do it. What's and then, the catch? Yeah, exactly. And they said, well, it's, you know, it's going to be uh, $5,000 uh, to go. Okay. And it's like, oh, uh, mm-hmm. And my dad and mom pull me aside and, and they say, AJ, that's a lot of money. My dad calls me AJ and he's the only one. He says, AJ, that's a lot of money. He's like, are you really, really sure you want to do this? And I said, yeah, Dad, I, I, I'm really excited about this. I think this could be something that I really want to do. And he said, okay. And he said, he told me later, he, he told my mom, he said, we'll just chalk this up as a learning experience because this is a scam. Right. And, uh, and so we, we, we did it. We cut the check. And, and over these next six months, I started preparing for it. I, I got a monologue. I, about a month or two before, they send you these two TV commercials that you got to memorize and and uh, you're going to walk the runway. So I picked out clothing for that and all that. And as a preparation, I, I got into that one-act play that was at the school. And I got into it late because, you know, I didn't think I was going to do it. And, and they'd already kind of started practicing and stuff by the time I did this audition. But when I, you know, after I did it, I was like, well, I better, you know, do something. And so I go to the girl and she's like, ah, well, we always need people. And so I ended up playing the understudy to the two leads because the both both leads were guys, so I was understudied to both of them, and then I was five characters in the play itself as well. So as a little one act play, you got you only have fifteen people, so you you make it spread around. And so I did that, and it was a lot of fun, and it kind of got me in the in the mindset of like, okay, I've been on stage now at least. And um, and then March rolls around, and, and me and my dad go to Orlando. Which I might add is familiar territory for you. you yes, exactly. It was, it was my old stomping grounds from when I was little. You know, we used to go every year for my birthday and stuff. So we were really familiar with the area, and I thought it was the funniest thing that you know uh, I go to Texas, move there, 
And then I do this competition that's back in Orlando. <laughs> it's like, I can't get away from those two places. So we go in March and, you know, this whole time we're just, we decided we're just going to have a good time, me and my dad. And we get there and there is, in fact, a thousand kids just roaming around the Swan and Dolphin and all their parents. So it was packed. And we look around and we're like, what did we get ourselves into? You know, and, and we go and wait in the line to sign up and it's like three hours long and we're just hanging out. And, uh, and so we, we do this event, and it's four days, um, two days of competition. So there's the first day where you sign up, you get all set in. Then there's two days of competition, and then there's a, an awards night. Um, and then the last morning, you know, there's a, this like meet and greet thing. And so the way that this was set up is there were 60 industry professionals there, you know, modeling agents, talent agents, managers, casting directors, uh, all, all different industry professionals from across the industry. They come and they see these kids and um, you're graded basically like the way that it's the competitive aspect anyway, is that you get callbacks from these industry professionals to meet you. Um, and the, the ones with the most amount of callbacks won, you know, and so that's how it was set up. So I go and do these things and, and I, my parents are allowed to sit in or so my dad sits in and, and he sees me do the monologue that I had prepared and nobody had seen this but me up until the point. Like I didn't let anybody see it. I did it in the mirror at home every day. Like that was how I prepped for this. I did not, my parents never saw it. So they were going on complete blind faith here. He sees it and he's like, oh, that was pretty good. You know, and he didn't tell me that at the time. He didn't want to give me a big head or anything. But, you know, he he thought to himself, that was, that was pretty good. And so I do that. I, and, and the first day, too, they did this training session where you would go into all these little rooms, do your monologue and your TV commercials, and then they would kind of critique you. I didn't know at the time, but my monologue one was with the girl that was actually the president of this whole thing. She ran the whole organization, and she was doing these um, trainings as well. So I, you know, I didn't realize that, and I do these, all these interviews and stuff, and then comes the award night. And we're sitting there, and there, there's like 3,000 people in the room, you know, the 1,000 kids and their parents and stuff. And, and it's like a big deal. They've got like David DeLuise there, and, and there's lights, and there's really loud music and all this stuff. And they're hyping it up, and they have like a dance show, and like this dance group comes out. And so they did it big, and they, you know, made you feel like it was fun and for all these kids. And, and so they do the awards, and, and there was like third, second, and first place prize. You know, there was 1500 for third, 5000 for uh, second, and, and 10000 for first. And so they're calling them out, and we had numbers assigned to us. Mine was 5195, actually. You remember that? So they, awesome. yeah, I still remember it. And so they uh, are calling out these numbers, and so they call out third and second, and, and they go to call out first, and it's like five, one, nine. And I'm like, five. And I'm like, and I, I just kind of like in shock. And my dad jumps up, and he's like, AJ, that's you. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it is. So I go up. I, I won this entire thing, you know, out of these thousand kids. I ended up winning, and it was really, really shocking. I met David DeLuise. He gave me this giant check. It was hilarious. And uh, after the award show, the the girl that was in the monologue uh, training, she comes over to me and she says, "When I saw your monologue, I knew that you were going to win this thing." And I said, "Wow, I, you know, thank you. That that means a lot, you know." And so the next morning we go and we meet all of these industry professionals that called me back. I think I had uh, 20, 23 callbacks. And so I meet all these people. Some of them are modeling agents who are like, call, call us when you're six foot. I was like, <laughs> that's never going to happen. <laughs> you know? so, and, uh, and then a lot of them were acting people. And so I met all of these industry professionals. I met a girl named Heather Nunn 
who was like our guardian angel, she, she was a casting director at the time, and she just kind of put her, her arm around us and, and helped us out tremendously. She had no dog in the fight or anything, you know. What's, what's so, going through your head? Okay, let, let's, oh. let me, let's talk about okay, you. I can imagine the, when they announce your name, I mean, you, you've won this entire competition out of 1,000 right. people. More than 1,000, because you think how many people auditioned in, auditioned all, the the small, in all the original cities. So you've won this massive competition. You know, I, I imagine that that night's a bit of a blur. The next day you wake up, you're meeting all these uh, industry professionals, the, the, all the people that wanted to do the callbacks. But take me through what's going through your head, sort of maybe on the plane ride home back to Texas. Oh. Now, now, all of a sudden, your entire career life is looking like it's going to be going in a direction you never saw coming. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I was just shocked because we met all of these people and they're starting to plan for like a trip out to L.A. and, you know, stuff to, to, to have follow up meetings and stuff. And I'm just I'm just shocked. I, you know, never in a million years expected it. Me, me and my dad both. We were there just having a good time. This was it was not what we expected to come out of it. So it was really a whirlwind. I was just living it up. I, I really was just enjoying the time. And it was, it was just, it was crazy because, you know, I, I walk in, I have to carry this big check home. Right. And so I go to the airport with this thing and I can't check it. I, you know, they don't do that. So I have to carry it with me. And I, I carry it up, up into the plane and the, in the uh, flight attendant's like, what, what is that thing? I was like, well, it's, you know, it's my giant check. I, I don't know where to put it. And he's like, well, we'll put it in the closet. And he's like, what, what was it for? And I was like, well, I won a talent competition. And he's like, oh, my gosh. And so he gets on the intercom, and he's like, excuse me, uh, the cabin, we, we have someone famous riding with us. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, the, like, the whole plane clapped for me winning this competition, too. And so everything about it was just surreal, you know. And, and it was just a little boy from small town Texas, not even small town, just, you know, uh, ranch in Texas. It was just out of this world. I never would have expected anything like this, you know, and I'm super thankful for it looking back because uh, otherwise I don't know that I would have ever been introduced to acting. Um, so after that, it was just a whirlwind. Uh, the next nine months, you know, the next month, it was like uh, two weeks later, I fly out to LA and I meet all of the, the people that have called me back and, and some other really great people. And I ended up meeting my first manager out of it, uh, a guy by the name of Richard Konigsberg. And uh, he was fantastic, and he kind of, you know, helped me get started. And so I came back to Texas. I started going to acting classes, and they were in Dallas. So I would be driving. Dallas is six and a half hours away. So I would be driving once a week on Wednesdays up to Dallas, the six and a half hours, take the class, and drive back that, that night. 13 hour days of driving every week for a while just to do acting class. And I was only missing one day of school a week. I'd wake up on Thursday morning and go, even though I only got home at like three o'clock in the morning Wednesday, and even still, the school was like, um, you're going to miss too many days. You're going to have to be held back oh, no. because you can oh, only no. miss 20, right? Right. And I'm like, uh, that's not going to work. Like, I have to do this. This is what I'm going to do. And they, I said, can you work with me in any way? You know, I was valedictorian. So it was like, come on, guys, like, give me a little slack here. And they said, no, we can't. We can't do that. And so, you know, such a small school, they can't really make um, any uh, excuses or anything for that. And so... I said, oh, all right, well, I'm going to have to leave then, <laughs> you know. And so uh, two or three or four weeks into my junior year, I left uh, school. And um, in October of, of 2010, I guess it was, I flew out to L.A. and took the CHESPE, the California High School Proficiency Exam. And that basically graduated me from school. And so after that, I just focused on acting completely. Okay, so uh, now how old were you? 
I, then I was 16. Okay. Okay. So you're, yeah. you've, you've got, uh, the, the, like you said, the, the California equivalency to high school diploma. Yep. So you're, you're, you're in the clear now. Yep. But, but you don't, I, you don't actually move to Los Angeles then. Not yet. You're just out there meeting professionals, getting a manager, yep. like you said. Um, so bring me to the first actual acting uh, part that you get and how did you Oof. get that? Okay. Well, it was funny that, uh, you know, again, I was driving all over the place for these things. I drive up to Austin to tape auditions, you know, I, uh, and it is, it's funny. The first audition that I had was actually in LA when I first flew out there, like two weeks after this competition. And it was for a thing called prom. It was a Disney movie. And I auditioned with like the head of casting at Disney. And little did I know at the time, it was really more of a test of how, how I was, uh, more than for the role. And so she had called the guy that had sent me on the audition after and said, hey, he's got a lot of talent. He's green. Like, and, and what green means for, for anybody that doesn't know is that they're very new. You can see it. You know? And so um, he, you know, he's going to need some training, but he's got talent. And so I flew back to Texas after that and you know, was, was doing all these auditions. I was driving up to Austin, driving up to Dallas. I drove to Baton Rouge once for an audition. So it was like you know, nine hours over there just for this. Like, I was in the room for five minutes. And I was like, oh, gosh, that was a nine-hour drive for that. Uh, and so one of these auditions is in San Antonio, and it's for this horror spoof, um, you know, making fun of horror films thing. It was called Supernatural Activity. And uh, I was my role's, character's name was Isaac Sunflower. And so I, I auditioned for it, and uh, they ended up, you know, they called me back, you know, a few days later. And so I go in, and, and they give me a few tweaks and stuff. And then a day later, my agent in Austin calls and says, hey, you booked the part. And I was like, Oh, you know, that, that was my first, that was my first deal. So I was like, I was super excited, you know, it was a hundred dollars a day. So it was basically glorified extra, but it was a low budget movie. So I understand. And, and so I shot for a couple of days in, in uh, central Texas and, and shot this movie. And, uh, it was, I, I, I just enjoyed set so much. Like it was a blast. Um, just, you know, every single bit of it, like, I, I don't know. I just came alive. On set. I felt home. You how, know? how were other people on that set towards you? Mm -hmm. I mean, this is your first time. I mean, do you, are you working with a lot of other first-time actors? Or I don't know. Well, if, no, not sure about the film itself. I mean, were these first-time filmmakers yeah. or, or sort of what was the story there? Well, so the director, a guy named Derek Nixon, had actually been, you know, he had been an actor for years um, beforehand, before he moved back to Texas and kind of started a family. And um, he actually was on, I think it was GQ's. It was one of those lists that's like, hottest 25 guys under 25 kind of deal. And he was on that list. So it was like, oh, that's that kind of cool. So he had lived that life. And then he came back and started producing and directing movies in Texas. So he had been through the industry and all that. And then a lot of the other people had been working for a long time. And so I was, I was definitely the newbie. But they were super accepting and super gracious of it. I mean, you know, and they were very complimentary too. I, you know, I, I spent a lot of time working on my, on my stuff. And and the director loved every bit of it. You know, he, I didn't really get any tweaks or anything. It was just like, do your thing, dude. And, uh, and so that was a really cool thing to experience. You know, they were all very, very complimentary. And, and it, was, it was really like, it, it just further proved, you know, to me that this is what I was supposed to be doing. You how, know, how much screen time did you have in that movie? And then also follow up question to that <laughs> is what was it like the first time you saw that movie? Well, I, I think my screen time ended up being around seven or ten minutes. So it wasn't a ton, you know, it was, a, it was a fairly small part. My sister got, um, possessed. And so we had to exercise her. Okay. Um, so we have a scene where I'm, uh, playing charades with my, my dad and my sister. And, 
uh, it, we're like a super like mega Christian family. So like I, my one is Jesus Christ. And so like, I do like a cross or something and they guess it. And I was like, you got it. And then I go sit down and, and she goes up there and she's about to do something like similar. And then she ends up getting possessed right then. And so she's starting doing this dance and stuff. And we're like, uh, uh, Helen Keller. And like all these things. And I was like, oh gosh, you know, it was a little, you know, the spoofs go a little far sometimes, but so I had that and then we had to exercise her. And, and so, but so we go and watch it. They do a premiere for it in San Antonio. And it was so weird. It, it, a lot of people don't understand how, how goofy it is. I mean, and maybe some people do, you know, with pictures and stuff. But it's weird to watch yourself on screen. I don't like it. Like, I didn't, I didn't like it. I was like, I, I'm glad they thought it was good. But, woo, that was, that was rough. And, you know, I heard later that, you know, a lot of actors have that same thing. You know, Johnny Depp, even. He, he doesn't like to watch his own movies. And it, I think it really is a thing. It's like, it's weird to see yourself, you know? Sure. Um, and it was really funny. My, my parents even, they said, you know, that looked great. It was like, it was, it was weird to see the, the parts of you that we saw that were you and then the parts that were the character. That was, they said that was so weird to see because it was, they were like, we were watching you, but it wasn't you. So they were even a little thrown off by it. And so that was my first experience watching myself. And it was weird. Um, so, you know, after that, uh, it, that was like, I think maybe six months after the competition that I did that. Um, and after that, uh, it was nine months after the competition that I decided to move to LA full time. Well, let me and, ask you this. Let me start because I've yeah. got a couple questions on that. Because sure. I, I know that there's a lot of listeners out there and everybody sort of dreamed about making the move out to, to LA and, and, <laughs> and getting into the pictures as they used to say back in the day. Um, but you're getting ready to move to LA. You don't know anybody out there? Nope. Nope. Okay. Uh, I, I knew one person, or two people technically. I knew Heather Nunn, and I knew Richard Konigsberg, and those, okay. are, those are my two people out there. What's the first thing you do when you say, okay, I'm going to move to Los Angeles. Uh, where am I going to live? What's, what am I going to do? Like, I'd love to know what's going through your head, because like, how are you arranging all of this? Well, it really was a fly-by-the-seat-of-our-pants situation. We knew we wanted to do it. You know, I was getting advice from the agents and from you know, uh, my acting coach in Texas and Dallas. And, and so we knew we wanted to do it and we just didn't know how quite yet. And, and so we got a roommate situation arranged through the acting class. Uh, another guy that had gone to, uh, lessons at the studio, didn't know him, but we just started communicating through, through, uh, text and stuff and, and started looking for a place. And so we were looking and we're like, man, these, these places must be so nice. They're so expensive. This is like, like two or three thousand dollars for an apartment a month and we're like ah no we need we don't need that you know <laughs> it's like it's it that must that's maybe like the ritz carlton uh little did we know at the time that la is just crazy expensive you don't get you know in texas you can get or, or florida even you can get a 300 dollars a month apartment that's like a two-bedroom and sure. super yeah. nice and there, there is nothing for two or three hundred dollars a month for la it's a thousand dollars a month for a studio and that's that's what we ended up with. We we found this place in in downtown, on the cusp of downtown in Koreatown. Didn't know the area at all, so we didn't know it was super sketchy. And it's for a thousand dollars a month, and it's a glorified hotel room. There's two queen beds. There's a mini fridge and microwave in the corner, and we get water from the sink in the in the bathroom. That was it. That was that was the extent of our living situation. And so in February of 2011, we jump in the truck and we drive to LA, and we get there and we're like, whoa. Where are we? You know, and and to be fair, that's all we knew of LA. So we were like, oh, this just must be it. 
this is just part of it. You know, this is, this is what LA is. And, uh, and so we're in this place and, and it was crazy for three months. I lived there and it was just, you know, we'd run to the 24 hour fitness, like half a mile away and have to, you know, make sure we didn't get shot on the way. <laughs> I'm, I'm picturing, in it my, was a sketchy part of town. I'm picturing my mind in the movie big with, uh, Tom, ba- Tom Hanks. When mm-hmm. uh, when he gets that first little uh, gets that little hotel room that he's he's staying the first night yes. in New York, say so that's what I'm picturing in my head. It's similar to that, but even just a little like because this thing was 150 years old. It was an old hotel that they were just like, oh, it's going to be long term now, you know. And uh, there was a weight room in it. I had to get a gym membership because this we went into this weight room, and there were three machines, and they were all probably original to the hotel because they <laughs> they were old. I mean, there was a there was a, a curl bar that didn't have any weights to it, in one clip, and it was it was all rusted. So it was like you couldn't even. So they they had a weight room, uh, but not really a weight room. You in know, name, in name only. That's awesome. Exactly, in name only. You know, I could do more in, in the uh, in the hotel room that I was staying in with the you know lifting the desk or something. What's the um? What's what's the first? You said you were there for three months in, in yeah. Africa. Okay, so what what's what's the the those three months like a lot of auditions and t- take me through yeah. what a typical audition can be like well first off i had to get an agent in la so the first couple of weeks was was meeting with different agencies and stuff and finding um an agency that was the right fit and lucky the age that i was at the time because they're a lot more accepting of people with no resume when you're young when you're older it's harder to get an agent so you know doing it to the age that i did was a really good thing um and they actually, they're always in search of kids that are like that age to try to get started because, you know, all, especially guys, we're all in high school playing football or basketball, you know, doing the sports thing. So acting isn't really as big of a thing for, for that age group. So it's kind of a black hole for those people. So I, I got snapped up pretty quickly by an agency. And then after that, it was auditions and auditions. And, and that was my life. I, you know, I, I rarely had social outings. You know, it was more that I, uh, I would, you know, go with friends to eat sometimes, but, you know, I'd have to get over there. So out of the, the black hole that I was in. And so didn't do that as much, but uh, just focused a lot on just auditions and stuff. And so, you know, going through an audition, it would be you you get the audition a couple of days in advance if you're lucky, sometimes the night before, sometimes the day of. And you prepare these sides that they sent you. Um, could be two pages, could be 10 pages, you don't know. And so you prep these scenes. And then you go into the audition, you drive to wherever lot it's on, and you go in and, and you sign in, and then you, you've got 20 other kids that look like you sitting in the room. Then you go on this audition, so you go into the room, and there's a casting director, sometimes they're taping it, you know, they have a video camera, and you do the scenes. And for the first couple of months, I don't remember the insides of the casting offices. I blacked out. Like, it was like, it was just so nerve-wracking to me that I'd come out of that audition, and I'd be like, what happened? You know, and I'd be so surprised if I got a callback because I'm like, yeah, I don't, I can't tell you how, you know, I don't know what I did because I don't remember. And so for a while it was like that, you know, it'd be super fast. It'd be super sped up. And after a while I got comfortable and it started to slow down and it started to be much more normal. But, but I was so nervous for those first couple of months. And, and so it was really, it was such a new experience. Everything. They, um, they say that Los Angeles is not a, um, pedestrian friendly friendly city and by that i mean mm. if you live in new york you've got mass transportation you know 24 hours a day uh did you have a vehicle i mean you said you loaded up a truck and you drove out to los angeles i mean did you yeah. have transportation in los angeles 
it was my friend's truck. It was the roommate's truck. So I myself did not have a vehicle out there for the first three months. I was I was on foot. And or if he was free that day, you know, I would I would ride he would take me, you know, drive me. And so on the days that I wasn't or that he wasn't, I would have to take a bus. And that was really complicated. And I am so thankful that I had a smartphone because it gives you like bus transit stuff. If I didn't have that, I would have been so lost. I would I don't have, I wouldn't know how to get to places. You know, because the bus system there works pretty well, fairly timely, but it's really confusing because you might have to take like three different buses to get to where you're trying to go. And so I, I was glad for that, though, in, in hindsight, because now I know that what that's like. I know what it's like to take the buses to places and stuff, because I, I, if I had a vehicle out there, I wouldn't have known. And so I, I am thankful for that looking back. But it was difficult. You know, taking a bus to an audition is really stressful because you plan ahead. You're like. I want to get there an hour early just in case this bus breaks down, you know? And so taking a bus and then you have to catch one back. That's the other part of it. Like then, you know, depending on what time it is, I've, I was riding buses back home at like one o'clock in the morning sometimes. And it's like, who is these people? You know, for those who don't know, how big is Los Angeles? Oh my gosh. It's sprawling. You know, it's, I think it's the second biggest city in the U S um, as far as population, but as far as land area, it is, it's all over. So, you know, I've never been to New York, but from what I know of it, it's all very compact. You know, you can get to a lot of places by walking or by a taxi or something like this. You know, you might take a 45 minute cab ride from the airport just to get to your place. And that's, you know, it's far. So, so, you know, walking is not really an option. You, you can walk to the normal places like the grocery store, maybe, um, but as far as like an audition in, in, in New York for the plays and stuff, you can walk to most of those probably here. No, no, not a chance. You know, I might have an audition over in Santa Monica, which is 20 miles away and, you know, an hour and a half in traffic if I'm lucky, you know, cause traffic's crazy out here. Uh, cause it really is a driving city. So, and I'm thankful that when I came back out, I brought one with me, gotcha. um, to have, yeah. So let's talk about the second job that you got. The the this time you you did the very low budget uh, paranormal yep. spoof film. Uh, the next movie that you were cast in was a substantially larger role and a much bigger budget. Yeah. So why don't you talk a little bit about the audition process for that, and then sort of your reaction to getting the part? Sure. Well, it was it was a full two years later. Oh, okay. Know. No, so so back up just for a second. Tell me about what's going on in that two year. I mean, we've, you've been out, you've been in LA, you did three months at the sort of studio hotel yeah. apartment. You're going to auditions. Is there any point in that period where you're getting a little like frustrated? Like this isn't happening fast enough for me. You know, there, there was a, there, there's times like that. Obviously you're going to have those, but in the overall scheme of things, I, I had a vision of what it was going to take and, and how long, you know, I had a five to 10 year plan and I knew what it was going to be like. I knew that it wasn't, you know, for some people they can move out here and six months later they have, you know, a series regular role. Um, but for a lot of people it doesn't happen that way. Um, Brian Cranston, he, he, you know, was on couches till he was like 35 and then all of a sudden he gets breaking bad. You know, it's like, so I knew I expected it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's from time to time it would get frustrating because you get close on a role, you know, I'd test for things or I'd, you know, do a chemistry reader and mix and match or, you know, all of those things. And, and you're so excited, and then it doesn't happen. And you're like, ah, oh, you know, how many of these am I, I going to have to go through before I can, you know, actually get something? 
And so it was. It was two years. And, you know, from 2011, February that I moved out, to February 2013 when I auditioned for The Ultimate Life. And it was just, you know, you got to go through the process, get in acting classes, you know, and just be there for the haul, for the long long haul. And so anyway, so in February, I auditioned for The Ultimate Life. And I didn't, I mean, when I saw the movie or saw the the breakdown and stuff, it, it wasn't one that stuck off the page to me. You know, it wasn't like, the, oh, my gosh, this is my role or anything. It was just another audition at first, you know, and it actually even said star names only on the on the submission. So I was like, well, I'm not getting this one. You know, it was like, I'm not I haven't I've done one project, you know, uh, one actual project. They'd done some commercials and stuff. But other than that, you know, I hadn't done anything. And so I, I go into this audition and, and I felt like I did really well. But it's like, you know, you leave and you don't know. And. A couple days later, my agents call and they say, "Hey, you got a you got a chemistry read for this." And I was like, "Oh, no, not even a callback. A chemistry read, sweet." And for those who That's don't cool. know, what's a chemistry read? Yeah, so a chemistry read is where you go in and you're matched up with other uh, characters that are going to play opposite you. So uh, I had a love interest in the movie, and they had like three or four other girls there and three or four other guys, and they would just mix and match them together uh, to see to get an idea of their chemistry, you know, together. And so, and that doesn't necessarily mean romantic chemistry. It usually just means, you know, chemistry on screen. You know, it could be two guys in a scene or, or you know, uh, a father and a son. It's like you just you want to get a sense of, of how they interact with each other um, to see if all the pieces fit. And so I do this chemistry read, and I feel great about it. I'm like, yeah, I did, I did that really well. There's nothing else I could have done, you know. And, and I go out of it, and I go to a McDonald's of all things, and I call my mom. I was like, I booked that. And she was like, oh, all right. And so a couple of days later, I, uh, I'm writing a movie with some friends, actually, at this time. So trying to focus on other things, you know, keep myself occupied. And I get a call, and it's my agent and manager. And I'm like, oh, well, that's never happened. And so they say, you know, you, you got it. You got the role. And I was like, what role? And they said, ultimate life. And I was like, no way. Like, I was, I was again, it was that same feeling of just euphoria and shock. And so... Like, I sit there for a second, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. And then I start freaking out. I'm jumping all over the place, you know, excited. I walk back in and tell my friends, and we're all, you know, super happy. And and it was really surreal. Again, I just didn't – even until the flight, I didn't know I, – I wasn't sure that it was going to happen. I wasn't even banking on it even then. I was like, until I get there and I'm, like, on set, this isn't real, you know, because it had been – so. I mean, it had been two years that I'd been waiting for something like this. And and this is not a small role by any means. This is this is I, I've seen the movie, and by the way, I thought it was terrific, and I thought you were oh, terrific in you. the film. Uh, but what struck me about this watching the film is you're one, of, in my opinion, you're one of the stars of the movie. I mean, you share equal screen time with the uh, the other main character in the film, yeah. even though you're set uh, years apart from each other in the movie. You, I again, major role for you. So it was it was a big deal, you know, coming not even doing many other things to getting this leading role. So in the movie, I think I had a couple more minutes of screen time than anyone else in the movie, which was, you know, really shocking. I had the most days of days on set, which just means days of their production out of days you're working. And I had the most of that as well. What's the set like? What's what's on set like? Now, this movie was filmed in North Carolina. Yep. And so so it's an on location shoot. And what is give me because the the other movie you're on is this very low budget horror spoof. Yeah. Okay. And now all of a sudden you're on to a film that's got, uh, you know, more than a million dollars. Like I think you said it was like three million dollar budget for the film. It was a three million dollar budget. Okay. What and, is the you know, difference? What's the sets like? Well, this will give you an idea. For for the small budget film, I brought my own wardrobe. 
okay. <laughs> and for and for the big budget film, I did not bring my own wardrobe. Uh, you know, I get I, I get on the plane and they fly me first class, and oh, it's like, wow. oh, all right, cool. Like, I've never flown. I, I flew first class once before with my grandma when I was like six. You know, and and so that was pretty. I was like, all right, sweet. And then I, I get there and I get picked up and. You know, I meet the girl that's playing my my love interest, Abby Mavity, and she was actually not someone that I had uh, chemistry read with. So I was like, oh, cool. So, you know, I didn't know what that was going to be like. And uh, she ended up being fantastic. She was, you know, just a bubble of sunshine and, and, and was great at her role. So it was a lot of fun. And, and so they pick us up and they take us to this really nice hotel. And, you know, you get your own room. And, and I got like this gift basket when I got there. And, and then, you know, you go on set and everybody like knows who you are. And it's, it was just like really like, wow, you know, and, and, you know, every morning you'd go in and start getting in the makeup chair and stuff and, and a, a PA would come by and say, hey, what do you want for breakfast? Like, I'm going to go get, get it for you. And unless I was busy, I never let them do that because that was like, I, I, I didn't want right. to have people like waiting on me. You know, I did not grow up that way. So if I, if I was able to go get it myself, I always did. But sometimes, you know, you're in the middle of a scene or something and you do like I needed a cup of coffee because I was crashing or something. And I'd be like, thank you so, so much. Like, I really appreciate it. You know, very it tried to be as gracious as possible. But, you know, they, they have that for you. They have people bringing you food and they have people bringing you coffee. And it was just like, oh, my gosh, like I'm living like a king. You know, we have the easiest job on set. You know, what is what is the um, the shooting schedule like as far as like what's a typical day? How long are you shooting? And then follow up question to that is what are you doing in your free time? What part of North Carolina yeah. are you in? Well, honestly, there wasn't a ton of free time. We had weekends off. And, and so we would do whatever. My mom drove up one weekend. So that was great. Uh, I went to a, uh, a game, a basketball game with a buddy of mine that was on the show, Jack Depew. So we just kind of did whatever. But mostly I just rested in my, uh, in my hotel room. Cause it was pretty draining. You know, we'd go on set and it would be usually like a 12 hour day because after that they have to start paying you overtime and they don't like that. So they try to keep it to 12 hours and then you have a 12 hour turnaround. Um, so if you get done at one o'clock, you know, that morning, you can't work until one o'clock the next day, you know, at, at, in the afternoon. And so we'd, we'd, you know, go on set and the first couple hours would be, you know, hair and makeup. And then, uh, we do rehearsals and run throughs and stuff. And then, you know, you shoot the scene, but you have to shoot several angles. You know, you don't see this when you're, when you're watching it on TV, or at least you don't really pay attention to it, but you've got to shoot, you know, several different angles. You got to get my angle. You got to get the other character's angle. If there's multiple people in the scene, you got to get each of their angles and then you got to get a wide shot and establishing, and then you got to get close-ups and you got to get medium shots, maybe get two shots. So it's like, you know, there might be 17 different angles that you've got to get in a scene. So that means you're doing this scene, you know, not just 17 times because you're getting three or four takes of each shot. So you're doing this scene 70 times, you know, it may be by the time you're done shooting it. And, and so that, that was something you don't really realize, but once you fall into the rhythm of it, it really goes by quickly and you're not, you're not, you're just kind of in a groove. And so it is, it's, it's work don't it's like it's not all glamour and and you know having people bring you things it is work it and it's hard work um there's a there's a scene in the movie and uh, i i when i watched the film knowing that i was going to be talking to you i, I definitely want to see yeah. this film I, I i try to watch as much of your work as possible and um <laughs> and there's a scene where you're sitting uh out on the uh balcony of mm -hmm. this of this you know 
ranch house that is right. that is a quote unquote in Tyler, Texas. And um, <laughs> you're sharing the scene with arguably one of the greatest actors, uh, not only of his generation, yeah. but of all generations. No and, kidding. And it's just you and Peter Fonda one on one. You had mentioned earlier when you were doing these first initial auditions for this competition you were in, you weren't nervous. Right. Were you nervous when you knew you had to shoot a one-on-one scene with Peter Fonda? At, at, at first I was. Um, you know, anytime you hear that you're going to be, you know, in the same scene as one of the greats, it's like, oh, oh, am I? <laughs> I hope I don't look ridiculous, you know? And, and so at first I was, but as soon as you meet the guy, he is so, he, he was so kind. And he was so, uh, I mean, you could tell he'd been on sets for years because when you, when he walks in, he just knows how to make everybody feel at ease. And that was such a great thing. And it made everybody really comfortable. And, uh, and I was not nervous at all after that. He told so many stories and, you know, about all, all through the industry and growing up and stuff and, and was, you know, really, really good about making me feel, you know, at home. And so that was so great. And then, you know, with the scene, I'm supposed to be getting advice from him. So I didn't really have to act too much because, you know, getting advice from Peter Fonda, that, you know, that's real life. So, you know, I just had to juxtapose it with, with wanting to learn how to make money instead of wanting to learn how to be a fantastic actor. And, and, and I did get that advice from him off, off uh, screen too. And so that was such a cool, cool experience to be able to, to share that with him, you know. You, you talk about doing uh, multiple angles. Uh, how long did that actual scene take to shoot? Well, um, that one took probably two and a half hours, and it was freezing out. And so we would have to go inside between, you know, setups and stuff and get warmed up because we were, you know, we got to pretend like it's a summer night, and it's not. <laughs> and so, so, you know, we'd go in and get blankets thrown on us and stuff and then, and then have to go back out and shoot the scene. So one more question about the the production of the film, and then we'll get into sort of what it was like to to watch this film on the big screen. I know you see you're always reluctant to see yourself on screen, and here's a movie where you're, again, in my opinion, the star of the movie. Did you do your own stunts? And the reason why I ask this question (laughs) is there's a scene in the movie where you jump onto a freight train, and there's a scene in the movie where you jump off the freight train. And I got to tell you, from watching the movie, it looks like you're jumping onto that train. So were you doing your own stunts? You know, they weren't going to let me. And I sat there all day and I convinced them because we, it was the train day. Like we had a whole day for shooting stuff at the train. And so I see it and I'm like, oh, I got to do that. So from the very first thing, I'm, I'm convincing them to say, hey, you, you got to let me jump on the train. You got to let me jump on the train. It's like, they're like, no way. Insurance will not allow that. We can't do it. And so finally I get, I say, it's, look, it's just going to look so much better if I do it like myself. And so they finally give in and they say, all right, you can do it. And so I run up, this train's moving probably, you know, 15 miles an hour. And so I've got to sprint up alongside it and then jump up in the car. And so they have, you know, they do a couple of takes. They do one with a stunt guy grabbing me and pulling me in. And then one with the actual actor, you know, pulling me in so that they can get those both. And, and I convinced them to let me do that. And it was a blast. I, I, I want to be like that, you know, one day where I can just say, yeah, I'm going to do my own stunts. Like the Tom Cruise deal, hanging outside of a plane, you Absolutely. know, and, uh, and so I, I, you know, I, I really, really had fun. They, they did not let me jump off the train. Okay. That did have to be a stunt okay. person. They, they would not give on that. I was like, come on, I jumped off a horse, right? Like you could let me jump off a train. Like, no. So that was the one that I couldn't do. But so I, yes and no. <laughs> okay. So where did you 
see the first cut of this film? Or where, where was this film screened for you? And were your parents with you? My parents were not with me the first time. Okay. And I, I wish they could have been. You know, we, we flew to, it was um, a couple weeks before the film actually came out. Um, we, we drove, actually, the first time we drove down to um, Orange in, uh, in Orange County. And we watched it at this big theater. It was a, it was a screening, early screening. And, and that was the first time we saw it. And again, it was really surreal and really awkward. Like I couldn't even get the whole story because I was too busy. Like, oh, what? Why did I do that? Like, oh, oh my gosh, you know. And and so I had to watch it several more times before I could just calm down enough to actually see the movie as a movie. And but I watched everybody else, and everybody else looked fantastic. I was like, man, I look like a buster, you know, against all these people that were doing so good. But I got, you know, again, I got really great compliments from from it, and everybody really enjoyed it so i just had to kind of trust them and say all right i guess i did good because you know i don't know and did you watch it with your parents the first time they saw it yes i did and what was their I reaction did get to do that they they were really uh again on the same on the same train you know they saw it and they said gosh i was like first of all they they thought it was great obviously you know they're my parents but they said it was just so weird to see because we would see it's it's you we were watching but there's things that that you, that you do in this that aren't you. And it's like, we know you, and that wasn't you. And so they said, that was just so weird for us. And I said, well, that's a character, guys. <laughs> I did my work, you know. And, and so I said, if it was really good, you wouldn't have seen me at all. But, you know. There's a scene in the movie where when you meet your love interest, you get tongue-tied. You don't, yeah. But you don't strike me as the type of person that gets tongue-tied in reality. So <laughs> how, how was that to shoot that scene? That was one of the most awkward, awkward scenes. And I... I really don't, to this day, think that it was great. Like, I, I watch that, and every time I'm uncomfortable by it. But everybody, like, a lot of people say it was their favorite scene in the movie. It, it was good. You know? I got a kick out of it. it, it, was, it and was I fun. was like, I, I, from the beginning, I've seen that. And I'm like, like when I shot it, I was like, ah, there's no way. There's no way that's going to. Because my line was, a gugdy. <laughs> and I was like, how do I make that, like, be an actual thing sounding like tongue-tied? I have no idea. You know, and so I, I, you know, uh, just went for it a couple times and ended up turning out okay. But it was the most that, like, trying to shoot something like that uh, where you have to be tongue-tied, you know, it was just, it was the weirdest thing. And, and still to this day, I, I watch it and I cringe. And it's like, okay, that movie is done. And it's, yep. it's, it's, a, it's like I said, it's a, it's a good movie. Uh, I enjoyed it. I know that... Um, uh, I'm going to be including the uh, a link to the trailer for that film oh, in nice. the in the description of this uh, this episode. What's the next project you you get into after the Ultimate Life? Well, after that, it ended up being a pretty good year in 2013. I ended up doing like five more projects, and uh, one of them was this desert movie. It was shot in the middle of the desert, and talk about going from a high to a low because this movie was being shot for 50 grand. In the middle of it was in Moab, Utah, and we shot. So we shot outside of Moab, and we basically traversed the desert for a couple of weeks. Um, you know, we had a hotel or like a like a it was sort of a hotel thing that we stayed in, but we had an RV that was kind of our base camp that we'd take out into the desert, and we'd just go out all day. And so it was hiking. It was a lot of hiking, and and it was 110 degrees out. And, you know, so it was like, it was uh, it was rough, and it was a guerrilla style film for sure, and. That one was just such a far cry from because we, you know, some days we had to do PB and J's for lunch. And it was like it was very, very different. Well, you know, you, you mentioned that the the production for The Ultimate Life flew you first class to North Carolina. 
I'm imagining you didn't get first class flight out to Utah. Was this a road trip to Utah? How did you, how, it was, how, how did they get you up there? We road tripped in the RV in question. Oh, okay. So, okay. so you went from you went from California to Utah in a, in an RV. Yeah, we took that all the way to all the way to Utah from from Cali, and it was like a I think it was like a 16 hour road trip that we took up there. And actually, that's what we brought back until about Vegas when the RV broke down, and we had to jump in a car the rest of the way. And so we took a car the rest of the way back, but we spent two weeks there in Utah and it it was just such a, it was such a crazy experience because, you know, we had a skeleton crew. There may have been three or four crew and the director, you know, he was, he was a first time uh, director, first time anything with movies. He just had this story that he wanted to tell. And so he was like flying by the seat of his pants. So it was, it was just very hectic. And, uh, you know, there was just a lot of things that that weren't quite thought through. <laughs> there, there was a, I, and I think when you were filming that movie, it was being filmed under a different title. I think now it's called the film's called Interfere. If I'm, yep. if I'm mistaken, I've actually watched the trailer for that on YouTube. And watching that trailer, something caught my eye in that particular trailer, mm. and that was you doing what looked like uh, a way more dangerous stunt. <laughs> than jumping off of a, a a freight train that was going fifteen, or, or jumping onto a freight train that was going fifteen miles an hour. It, uh, yeah, I mean, you looked like you were jumping like across a quite a quite a distance with quite a drop. Why don't you explain to the listeners what I'm talking about? Yeah. So in the movie, there's this point. My character, he's he's kind of a daredevil, but he he just wants to get out of his shell a little bit and do things that he you know wouldn't normally do. And there's this rock outcropping. It's about we're on, we're on the side of this cliff that has about a 600 foot drop. It's a really really high cliff, and there's this rock like formation, I guess you would call it, that is separated from the cliff about 10 feet. So there's the cliff, and then there's this rock outcropping 10 feet away uh, from the cliff, and it, it, in the middle is a, is a very very long fall with a short stop, you know. And so in the movie, I'm supposed to jump out to this rock. They're they're planning on getting me this, you know, guy that's like a rock climber or something, try to find someone that looks like me when we get there and, and all this stuff. And I'm in the back of my mind saying, no, nah, that won't work. Like, they don't have a budget to do that. And so we, we're walking out the first day and we're scouting it. And I walk ahead and I see that rock outcropping. And I get an idea and I go and I jump and, and go to it. And then I just kind of wait there. <laughs> and they come and they they look over and they're like, oh, my gosh. They're like, how'd you get out there? I was like, well, I jumped. I did what it said to do. And they were like, oh, oh my gosh. Okay. All right. All right. Well, and I was like, guys, you're going to let me do this. Obviously, I've shown that I can, you know, and you're going to let me do this. And it's like, all right, but like, we're going to need you to get your harnesses and stuff like that. And I was like, no, I can't do harnesses because I'm afraid that I'll trip on them. Like, I don't want to do that. And so it was, it was about a 10 foot jump and I was an idiot for doing it. My mom hates me to this day, you know, it's like for seeing that and and I had to do it like six times uh, while they got all the different angles. Any close calls? <laughs> Any close calls on that one? One of the times, I, I I was a pretty close call. I caught my foot on the edge and and tripped and rolled, <laughs> and, and so that one was pretty scary. But it was to the point that they made me beforehand do a, like I, I they got me on camera saying I release all liability oh, no for kidding. for doing this oh, <laughs> because I wanted to do it. And so looking back, probably not the greatest idea, but 
I did. I did that. And we got a pretty fantastic shot out of it. So, so uh, Interfere hasn't been released yet. And have you seen uh, a, a screening of the film at all? I, you know, you say it hasn't been released, and I don't know if it ever will be because, uh, no, I have not seen a screening of the film. You know, we did that. We did some ADR for it after the fact, and and so I saw a few scenes from it then. And ADR is where you go into a booth and you you record audio over you know some of the lines that may have been missed while you were on set, and that happened a lot in the desert. So you know all the wind and stuff, and and so you go in and, and record those lines over. So I saw some then. And um, we did some reshoots at one point in L.A. Um, but after that, it's been, you know, that trailer released and that was it. I uh, haven't heard anything from him since. And, and you know, he was, a, he was a business guy that decided to do this. So I don't know if he ran out of money. Uh, it was all very sketchy. <laughs> after the fact, looking back, it was like, you know, but I made a lot of good friends from it, too. You know, and, and so I was really thankful for that. We really kind of bonded out there in the desert, you know. How, how long were you out there for? Just a little over two weeks. Okay. Uh, so, you know, and there was times where we all kind of got, you know, up in arms against him for certain things, like trying to feed us PB&Js after, you know, being out there in 110 degree heat. He fired our caterer two days in because they bought uh, too big of a tub of peanut butter. So, You're so me. Wait, yeah, it, there he, was... He bought too big of a tub of peanut butter, and so he was... Well, so let go. he thought... The, the director said that he was being wasteful and, and, and got fired. Okay. So, <laughs> and so then the director became the, the caterer too, as well as the DP and the executive producer and the writer and the creator. So I was like, like, okay, you know, there was, there was a lot going on, but we all really bonded from it. So that was, it was a really cool thing. So, and, uh, Oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. No, and, and so ever since then, you know, we've made good friendships from, but we always joke about never knowing what happened with Interfere. You know, it's on IMDb, so yay for a credit. But it's, I don't know that I'll ever see the light of day. It's listed as your next upcoming project on yes. IMDb. So that was sort of how it caught my eye, and I watched the trailer. But it's interesting to hear you tell me that it's been a couple of years since you filmed this. Yeah, it'll probably float in that upcoming project thing for forever. That's awesome. <laughs> until it gets removed, because. I don't think it's ever going to see the light of day. So when I was going through your your IMDb, I came across mm-hmm. a um a rather well known television show. And for um, I'm, I'm I hope everyone's picking up on my sarcasm when I say a rather well known. This is one of the the biggest TV shows in the world right now, and that is ABC Scandal. And you were yep. you were on an episode in the fourth season. And I want you to mm-hmm. tell me what it was like to get the call that you were going to be on Scandal and then sort of tell listeners what that experience was like, because that's a major, major television show. Yeah, and it was it was pretty crazy. That was uh, that was last year, I guess, that I did that. And the audition process for that was pretty interesting because I go in and I don't think it's even on tape. It might have been on tape, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it wasn't. You know, I just go in and audition for this casting director. And a couple days later, they call me and they're like, oh, you're pinned for it. And what pinned means is like there may be like two people, one or two people that they have in mind for the role. And they pin you to say, keep available for these dates, basically. And so I had had pins in me before that had gotten removed and I fall to the ground. You know, it's like, okay, but uh, but this time, you know, they called and they said, you're pinned. And a couple of days later, they call again and say, you got it. And I was like, wow, no callback, no nothing. I just, awesome. I wish they could all work like that. And and so I booked it. 
and it was it was pretty cool because I you know I go and it was a smaller role you know it, but it, what, what a lot of people don't know also about a lot of TV shows like that and Scandal specifically they wrote a ninety page script for this sixty minute episode and so there was going to be a lot of stuff that hit the cutting room floor so I, I kind of knew beforehand that some of my stuff probably wouldn't make it in but uh, you know I had a couple of scenes and. And um, my my whole thing is like I have a deal with the president's daughter, and it, it was kind of a, a scandal. Well, yeah, <laughs> and, oh yeah. <laughs> it was definitely then, true to the name. True to the name it, of the show, exactly. But it was a B storyline in the episode, so you know I, I was I was just going along for the ride and enjoying enjoying being able to work on it, you know. And and so I go and and I do the fitting and and all this stuff. And there was actually a mix up with the fitting because they thought I was a different the the uh, wardrobe thought I was a different role than I was and so like I started getting fitted for the wrong uh, outfit and I was like oh wait hold on and they're like oh you're you're the, the main one here and I was like yeah and they were like oh oh crap so they like, go and they fix that and and then you know I do I go on set and it's very much like the ultimate life in that you had everything there that you got your own trailer and and when you go on set there's just people you know not quite as hand and foot though, because I'm not like Kerry Washington, you know. I'm the day player, so I'm the kind of the outsider. Uh, but everybody was again super, super nice, and they were super accepting. The girl that uh, that I shot with her name was Quinn. Um, I had a whole scene with her, and her her name's Katie in real life, and she was such a sweetheart. She was so so nice. Kerry Washington super nice too, but was super busy, so she was going all over the place. But she was really good about like. You know, she'd talk to the extras and get them hyped up and stuff. So that was cool to see as well that, you know, she, as one of the main characters in the show, kind of had a responsibility to be uh, the one keeping everybody like you know, she was a leader. And and so that was cool to see, too. And so I did, you know, I did a couple of days of shooting on it. And, you know, uh, I probably had four or five minutes of screen time in the episode. And then it comes out. And you could have blinked and missed me. You know, a lot of my stuff got cut. And like I said, I was expecting that. But it's still a little bit like, oh, man, that scene was so good when we shot it. You know, right. I wish that would have stayed. So what uh, what's going on these days? What what um, any auditions, anything looking promising right now? You have got anything coming up in the in the pipeline? Well, you know, it always is the same. You can't ever say anything until it, you get it. And even after that, you can't really say until you're working on it. And even after that, you can't really say until it comes out. But right now, you know, it's been a lot of auditioning and stuff. And, and so for me, you know, I, I had a, a close call last year. I was, uh, I was in the mix for a show called Shannara. And uh, it's a big MTV show. And it was super cool. You know, like I, growing up, was huge into fantasy books and stuff like that. I read Aragon and all, you know, all those books. And, and so this was going to be a really cool deal because it was like set in post-apocalyptic back in the, you know, but it, it reverted back to like times of like riding horses and magic and stuff. So I was like, oh, this is like my child. This is awesome. And I, I you know, got really close on it. I, I met the director, Jonathan Liebsman. He directed Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, you know, kind of a big deal. And uh, John Favreau was executive producing, and so I was super excited. And I go in this room for the callback and meet the director, and, and he walks through it with me a couple times and stuff. And then when we're done, he's like, "Well, I don't know what it is, but you got it. Like, That's it. That's you're all. you're the guy. You're it." Wow. And I was like, "Awesome! That that's the greatest thing to hear from the director, you know." And so I, I leave the room. An hour later, they call and say, "Hey, you're testing for this." 
get all the tests you'll figure out it's going to be next week next week rolls around and doesn't happen they say it's going to be next week now and the next week rolls around and it doesn't happen so it's going to be next week and then it comes and they said well we booked a girl that's supposed to be your love interest and she's 29 so you're too young we're gonna have to go older and i was just like uh like i just dropped you know the girl's name was poppy drayton and i'd actually had that same situation happen to me once before uh, I'd rolled off the set of The Ultimate Life. Uh, the director, Michael Landon Jr., was a fantastic guy, and he, he wanted me for another project called When the Calls the Heart. And he said, you know, the guy's supposed to be a little older, but I think it's okay. Like, we'll, we'll, we'll be able to make it work. And so I go in and read for it. He's like, fantastic. He's like, I just got to confirm this with the network, and you're our guy. And so they send it into the network, and the network says, actually, well, the girl that we have is, uh, is 28, so he's going to be too young to play opposite her. So I said, and, this has happened a second time now. Same, had this happen a second time. Oh, same thing, and not even same thing, but same girl. You're kidding. Poppy Drayton was the girl that did Win Calls the Heart that I lost the role out to because she was too old. And then the same girl that did the Shannara. Please tell me someday you'll get cast in a, in a role opposite her sometime so we can say oh, three times gosh. the charm. That would be fun. Yes, exactly. Got to say the third time's the charm. And I can meet her and say, hey, <laughs> you're, you were uh, kind of my bad luck charm for a little yeah. while there. <laughs> you know? Awesome. That's awesome. So, you know, you never know when things like that come about. You could be so close and have the guy tell you that you're the guy and then it not happen. And then you can do a role and the movie never come out like with Interfere. So it is a pretty crazy industry. But, you know, there's a lot of ups and downs. And and the biggest thing is to keep going at it, keep auditioning, keep, you know, doing those things, keeping classes, you know, working on your craft. And that's all you can really do. You know, so so Austin, whenever I have a guest on how is this movie, I like to do a little rapid fire question round. And I've got some questions I want to to ask you, and I'm going to give you the option to pass on any of these questions if it's something you don't <laughs> okay. want to discuss. And it has happened in the, in the in the past before. So the first question well, I'm I have pretty open book. So we'll see. So the first question I have is uh, iPhone or Android? iPhone all the way. I'm calling you on an iPhone right now. OK, OK, excellent. Excellent. Uh, OK, book or audio book? Oh, book all the way. I love the pages. You know, I grew up reading books and audio books to me are just, you know, they're, they're fine, but I like, re- I like seeing it. I like reading it. I like, I'm, I'm a visual guy like that. I have to agree with you. There's something about holding the book in your hand and knowing how much of the book you have left because you've got, you know, you're yes, holding this many pages. That's such a big thing. Like yeah. you hold it up and you like compare which size, like I'm halfway now. <laughs> so, uh, Xbox, PlayStation or Nintendo? Ooh. I'm gonna have to say Nintendo. I, I'm gonna have to call the Wii. Okay. You know, I'm playing a I, right now. I'm playing a uh, a virtual console of the, the uh, Super Mario 64. That's my that's my poison of choice right now. When I I don't play games often, but when I do, uh, that's that's kind of my. I like to go to, back to the old days on that. Okay. So I got another one for you. Marvel or DC? Oh. You can't ask me something like See, that. You're allowed to pass. <laughs> you're allowed no, to- <laughs> I'm not going to pass on you. I'm not going to pass on you. I think, I think I'll have to call Marvel. Okay. Because they've done a fantastic job with their universe so far. But you look at like, okay, so you look at DC though, and you see the Batman movies. Yeah. And those are some of the best movies ever made. So as far as singular movies, I mean, DC is killing it but but when you look at the whole universe and you look at marvel it's it's just out of this world what they've been able to do so i really do have to lean on that side of it just because you know just for the sheer 
uh, what they've done with it. Okay, so I think I already know the answer to this. Is a this is a there's two follow up questions to the Marvel and okay. DC. Uh, next follow up question. Obviously, I think I know the answer. The Avengers or 2008's The Dark Knight. Uh, this is the Heath Ledger one, by the way. So yeah, well, you, uh, that's not you can't you can't do that. It's The Dark Knight. It's that's one of the best movies that, that, ever made. I think that's your answer. I mean, that's Heath my Ledger answer. is one of the most fantastic. He's one of the, I mean, that was the most fantastic role that I've seen. It was he embodied the Joker. It was amazing. So the Avengers is such a fun watch, and I loved it for that. It was it was it was a fantastic movie. The ensemble of it was incredible. It was so great. But the Dark Knight is a cinematic standalone movie was out of this world. Okay, okay. So uh, third follow, or excuse me, second follow up question to this okay. one: uh, When it comes to Batman, Michael Keaton yeah. or Christian Bale? <laughs> well, and, and, and I'll, you know, I'll, I'll I'll give you I'll make this easier. 1989's Batman, Michael Keaton. We can we can put Batman <laughs> oh, no, Returns I've aside. Seen, I've seen him, uh, and and I I think especially because I grew up with you know watching the Michael Keaton Batman, and he was he was fun. You know, it was he was fun to watch. He, but when you look at Christian Bale's Batman, it's a very 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 different Batman. Batman used to be very different than Batman is now. Um, it, the Dark Knight. It was not Michael Keaton. No, you know. No. Yeah. So I, I think because of the movies, because of the trilogy that had been established, Christian Bale is my is my guy. But it doesn't mean I don't love going and watch back and watching Michael Keaton's because he was it was a fun one. You know. Absolutely. You looking forward to Ben Affleck as Batman? And I'm gonna before you answer uh, that, I'm gonna, gonna say this. I'm, I'm gonna say that's exactly how I would do that. I, you know the the internet exploded when. Yeah. Heath Ledger was first cast as the Joker. People were going nuts, and not in a good mm-hmm. way. And oh, a, no. a lot of people live to regret statements that they've made regarding I, him. I would think so. And I have, since I've been doing this show for a couple of years now, I've decided to always sort of remain neutral about situations like this. Sure. And I am going to just say that uh, I'm going to take a wait-and-see approach. with, with Absolutely. The, and so I, so is that, would, would that be sort of the stance that you'll take? That that has has to be my stance because of the situations like Heath Ledger. There's you never know. Uh, I've never seen Ben Affleck do a character necessarily. Um, I've seen him do good acting, definitely. Yes. yes. But I've never seen him do a character, and so it it, it will be a challenge for him. Um, I'm just really really interested to see the tone it'll take. With him as as ben, or as Batman, you know, I like the idea that the the rumor mill is sort of swirling that he may direct a standalone Batman film. Ben Affleck might because that's interesting. The three movies that he's directed: The Town, Gone Baby Gone, oh and Argo. I mean, Gone Baby Gone. That's an incredible movie. Like that movie yeah. just blew my mind. He's not even in it. I mean, he's got his brother right. in the lead role, but he. I mean, that's just so he, he's. I, I don't even want to use the word term. I don't even want to use the term competent director. He's an exceptionally oh, good he's, director. He's a, absolutely. So be interested um, to see what he does with that. Well, in Argo, man, that was a piece of work. That was so fantastic. So and the fact that he could, you know, be in it and direct it, uh, that blows my mind because I, you know, just the acting side of it is like that takes all my brain power so trying to handle the directing job which i've seen and is nuts you know that would just be uh, crazy so I, I you know i commend him on that so that would be interesting to see you know him doing a standalone batman i think he would kill it 
Okay. So the next next question I have, and again, this is the last uh, Marvel DC sort of, so it's the third file. Okay. We mentioned the Dark Knight as being one of the, I think, I think it, the top two or three best action films ever made. It's just an incredibly well made movie. I agree. I. I'm not going to go off on a tangent here. I actually really enjoy The Dark Knight Rises. I know there's a lot of people that are, sort of have mixed no, feelings. No, I, I really liked it. I, I think it's a phenomenal movie. I saw it twice in the opening weekend. Um, yeah. Christopher Nolan, as a director, I saw Interstellar a year ago. It came out in November of last year. Uh-huh. I saw it in IMAX. I thought the movie was incredible, and there seems to be some uh, uh, negative thoughts about the film and i'm just wondering what you you've, i'm sure you've seen interstellar oh yeah what did you think about that movie and what do you think about nolan as sort of the next director i mean because we've got spielberg who's in, he's in his late 60s and you got you got the scorsese and lucas and coppola these guys are are getting a little right. bit older and you know yeah they're aging out is is nolan Absolutely. is nolan the next director and what did you i think? i think he is because as long as he stays on his track of being able to tell a fantastic cinematic story, as well as tying in all of these aspects, because I mean the the CGI and and then the stuff that he's been able to do, you know, with these megalithic, you know, movies, is pretty incredible that he's also kept a story so well. Um, you know, that's what he did with Dark Knight, and that's what he did with Interstellar. Even I, I personally, I re- I loved Interstellar. I thought it was fantastically done. You know, there was there was certain parts of it that are a little bit mind boggling, yeah. but I I think that was the movie. That's what it that's what it was. So I I thought that it was I thought he did phenomenal job. And all the people that are the naysayers, I think they they just look for something to say nay to. You know, sure. <laughs> um, sometimes. So the last question on the rapid fire round is Star Trek or Star Wars. No, Star Wars. Okay, all right. So then Star the, Wars. All you the have way. to know that there's some follow up questions uh, for for this this particular All question right. so first follow-up question i have is what is the first star wars movie that you saw that you remember seeing and then and then we'll go from there well the first one i ever saw was a new hope okay i start i started with those and it's so funny now because i went and watched it back a couple weeks ago and i didn't remember how much of a new hope took place in that movie i i you know i i remembered the the uh death star blowing up in like the second or third movie and then i you know i i remembered the fight with uh, with Darth Vader at the beginning in Obi Wan Kenobi, I, that was like a that I thought that happened at the or at the uh, uh, beginning of the movie. Like there was this these weird things that I did I didn't remember the way that they had happened correctly. Um, they had all gotten kind of mixed together in my mind. Um, I thought Yoda came in in the first movie, you know, it was like things like that. I was like I didn't remember, and so those are the first ones I watched. And I watched them young. And then obviously I went on to the to the next three and and watched those in order as well. Um, and those and those three we're talking about the prequels. Yeah, I mean, you want to talk about not a real gray area when it comes to those three films. Yeah. Either, either people really really like them or Absolutely. don't like them at all. Now I, I of course have made it clear on this podcast several times over that I'm I'm not a fan of the prequels. Mm-hmm. I'm a much bigger fan of the original trilogy. And part of that could be the fact that I did see. Return of the Jedi in the theater as a five-year-old. It's my first right. movie watching experience, movie theater watching experience. Uh, two questions. What are your thoughts on the prequels? And how amped are you for episode seven? Okay, so the prequels, um, it, it's tough for me because I did, they were a part of my childhood. 
So it's it's uh, I enjoyed them at the time. I was not watching them with a scrut like a, a, a scrutinous eye. Um, now watching them back, I don't think they held up the the candle as well. You know, they they were supposed to follow this this amazing, you know, the life change. I mean, for it was revolutionary when they, when the original Star Wars came out, and I don't think they did that with the the prequels and they could have um so it was interesting um i i'm 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 one that's very split on it because when i was younger i loved them and now watching them back i don't think they 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 didn't do as well as they should have to to match up with the first three but that being said i think the new star wars is going to be out of this world like i think they they learned from their mistakes on the on the prequels and I, I'm super, super excited for this new one to come out. So there's a follow-up question for that because I uh, purchased my ticket for uh, a, a movie comes out December 18th, but the, the theaters are all doing the night before, and I purchased a ticket for right. a December 17th showing. And I actually had to let people go ahead of me at the box office because I was <laughs> torn on which way do I want to see this movie. Now I'm going to tell you the three options that were available to me. And then I'll tell you which way I chose, and I'd like to know which way you would have gone. So there was a IMAX 3D, there was Mm -hmm. a standard 3D, and then there was a 2D. Now, I actually got on my iPhone and Googled a couple things while standing in line on the box office. This is is how nuts I am sometimes when it comes to the movie-watching experience. And I wanted to see if the movie was filmed, A, with IMAX cameras, and B, if it was filmed with 3D cameras. And and the answer to that, I found out, was that uh, there were no 3D cameras used to make this film. There was one sequence, which they wouldn't say which one it was, but there was one sequence that was filmed in IMAX, kind of like in The Dark Knight, that whole chase scene in the underground streets of The Dark Knight. Right. That was all shot with IMAX cameras. Same sort of deal in Interstellar. They had a few scenes in that that expanded to the IMAX. Exactly. Uh, So the fact that they didn't shoot anything in 3D and that the 3D would be done in post-production or in a post-conversion 3D, I ended up buying a 2D ticket because I, that's how the movie was actually filmed. So my question to you, Austin, how do you plan on seeing the movie upon first viewing? 2D. I, I don't watch 3D movies. Okay. I don't care if it's shot in 3D cameras. I don't watch them. Um, I, I've never been a fan of them. I, originally, they didn't really work for me. Like the red and blues was what I started on, and I never saw the 3D. I was like, I don't, I don't get this. Uh, it just looks blurry to me. Um, 3D's come such a long way, and it now is really a viable experience to watch, but I still prefer the 2D experience. Um, that's a personal thing for me. You know, I would rather go and watch an ETX 2D and get that fantastic sound quality yep. than, than do the 3D movie. So I wouldn't have even had to Google it. <laughs> I would not have. I've had to look up whether it was used um, with with the 3D cameras or not. I would okay. have gone 2D. Okay. Back a question up here again. Did you see sure. Avatar in 3D in the theater? Because that was the last 3D I, movie I saw in the in, in the theater. I watched it 2D. I, I, I did not give it a shot on 3D. And maybe I should have. Maybe Avatar as 3D would have changed my mind on 3D movies. But I was so stuck in my ways. Well, it didn't change my mind. It made me a believer in the, in the fact that if my research would have showed me that they used 3D cameras, I would have been more apt to, to purchase a ticket. But the fact because that Because when they use the 3D cameras, it makes that big of a because difference. Because I'll say, I saw, I, I saw Avatar IMAX 3D, and it was right. 
I mean, I get why it's the highest grossing movie of all time. When you see yeah. it in that setting, it was truly Such a movie-watching experience. What are your thoughts on Avatar as a movie? As a movie, when you watch it at home, on your TV screen, in the living room, it's a great movie. It's not the most fantastic movie. I would put on Dark Knight any day before I put on Avatar. Yeah, I would too. It's a well-told story, but it was revolutionary cinematically. What they did cinematically with that movie was unheard of and is still, uh, for the most part, unheard of. So it, it makes sense, especially from a box office standpoint, that it is the highest grossing movie of all time because of what it is. You know, it was, it, it, and I think it, it's telling more towards making these movies that are more of an experience to watch in theaters that you're going to go to theaters to watch them. You know, because you don't go to watch the movies in theaters always anymore. It's just not how it works anymore because you have it on streaming. You have it in your home. What's the most you could justify spending uh, for a movie theater ticket? Uh, putting concessions aside, let's let's say it's a couple yeah. of years down the road and Star Wars Episode Eight is getting ready to come out. You know, it's, it's going to come out two years from now. Uh, what's the most you would pay for a ticket? What if all of a sudden they That's said, all right, we're going to introduce the brand new model and tickets for this movie are $30. Would you pay that? Or how many? For $30 for one ticket. Yeah, I was going to say 40. You pay would you, be, you go as high. That's okay. So I think I think people would pay $30 for a ticket to go see Star Wars? Absolutely, especially if it's going to have a limited run. You know, it depends on on how long it's going to be in theaters. And obviously uh, how well it's being uh, received is, is how long it's going to stay in theaters. There's some movies that run for like 144 weeks in theaters because people are still going to watch it. So uh, I do think like with Star Wars, it's such an experience that you'd rather go watch that in a theater with, rather than in your home. It's just going to be a different experience. So I do think that people would spend more for that sort of thing. But it's only going to be movies like that. You know, Nobody's going to pay $30 to go see Chef, even though it was a fantastic movie. Yeah. I really liked it. I went and saw it in theaters. I paid $7 you know, to a little theater, and I, I really enjoyed it. But that's a movie you could just as easily watch on your TV at home. And you don't lose any of the experience. So by, by that sense, do you think that we actually might see more independent films come out? Like this, this actually could, I mean, so eventually we get to the theater only has big screen, I mean, big event movies. And then we have right. more dedicated movies on small. I mean, I actually think that is not necessarily a bad thing. You know, this, this direction no, that it's I, heading. Some people, yeah, some people poo-poo on it. But to me, it's, it's... There's been so many things in the past that people at the time were like, oh, this is never going to work. It's destroying the sanctity you know, television or, or movies. Or, you know, when television came out, it was the same thing. It was like, but I think it's, it's a way of the future for more content to be received. You know? um, and I think it'll be, it's become easier and easier to make a movie. You can go buy a camera for $1,000 now that will shoot a, a great video. You know? And, and you, can, you can do it by yourself if you really really want to um and i really think that's going to open the door you know especially through festivals and things like that to you know you'll, you'll see instead of people buying uh, you know movies at festivals to take to theaters you'll see them buying movies at festivals to take to netflix and to take to these different streaming services and i really think that's where it's going to be heading more towards you know okay okay real quick now can we mention uh, your 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 girlfriend is also yeah. in the business 
And, yes, she is. And she is um is she still up in Toronto or was I'm sorry, she, Vancouver? Was it Toronto or Vancouver? No, it was, it was Toronto. Toronto. Okay, she it was, was in Toronto and uh she just got back last week. Okay. And, and she was up there for six months filming a show called Heroes Reborn. Oh, okay. And it's on NBC. NBC, yeah, yeah okay. Okay. A few few yeah, people. Thursday have heard nights of that at one. eight, eight seven central if you want to tune in. And so she was up there filming it for six months and uh, that was it was amazing, you know, that, that she got to go do that. It was tough. It, it's hard, you know, for your better half to leave for six months. But uh, but we were so excited for that, and she had a blast. Um, and it was a big deal. I mean, she so she, they moved from Tennessee, her whole family, a little over a year ago. And within four months, she booked this. And she's been acting since she was like three years old. So they've been coming back and forth, but they had never lived here, lived here. And uh, shortly after she came out, she booked a, a role on Livin' Maddie, and then she, which is a Disney show. Then she did Criminal Minds, and then rolled into this, and uh, and she deserves every bit of it. But um, so, so for the, know, her, for the listeners, can you uh, which character is she on the show? And follow up question to that: Yeah, uh, do you have any sort of juicy plot details that you can share with uh, us about the <laughs> uh, about the miniseries? You know, her her name is Emily Duvall in the show. And she is the the love interest to one of the the you know lead guys who's um who's got powers and he's supposed to save the world. And as far as any plot details that I can give you, I, I wish I could. You know, I probably wouldn't be able to even if I did know. Okay. But I she has been so adamant about not telling me anything because she wants me to see it. You know, when it comes out on the TV uh, or on the on the NBC, and so she's not let me in on anything at all. I have no idea what's going to happen. And I keep like I'll I'll make predictions and stuff and tell her and she's like I don't know you know it's like oh man come on I'm like I should get something for this and she said she's she's been very very adamant that I do not I do not know at all now before before you sort of wrap things up I have a couple more mm-hmm. questions for you the first sure. one would be to anyone that's listening who you know wants to get into acting th- these days mm-hmm. what advice would you give to somebody who's who say was your age when you got started? Okay. Well, my my biggest advice is to get find somewhere local that you can get into classes because you need to start learning the craft. And if if it's about being uh, on TV to be famous or something like that, don't bother because is you there's way easier ways to do that. You know, um, this it it is a long long hard road, and unless you have a love for the craft and a passion for acting, then you're not going to be able to take all the no's and the no's and the no's and the no's before you're like, this isn't worth it. So first, fall in love with the craft, get into classes, start learning about it. And then from there, you can start building connections. Your, your teacher may know someone who knows someone who knows an agent or something and, and start searching out locally the, you know an agency and then pick that up and start going on auditions. And then you can start looking at, at transitioning over into some of the bigger markets. Like uh, uh, Georgia, Atlanta is a big market. You know, if you start places like that too, you can start to grow, you know, uh, um, a feeling for the craft. And then you can come out to LA and, you know, it is really hitting the pavement. You got to find your reps. You got to find people who are going to take care of you so that they can get you auditions and things like that. And remember when you come out here, it's, you, your first thing should be acting. Your first thing should be your, your business. If you come out here and spend a year you know, trying to make money just so that you can live, you've, you've not worked on acting at all in that year. So always keep your focus on that. 
And so my biggest advice is know what you're getting into. Okay. Because it is a it is a mixed bag, you know. There's so many amazing things about this industry and 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 being an actor, but there's a lot of a lot of hard work. Okay. So know, know that. <laughs> that's fantastic. That's I mean that's fantastic advice. Uh, if somebody wants to follow you on social media, you know, Twitter, oh, Facebook, sure. uh, what, what, what's, where can they find you? Well, my Twitter and Instagram are at AJWojo, so it's A-J-W-O-J-O, and, uh, and then my Facebook page is Austin James, and so you should be able to search both of those and find them and, uh, and tweet me or, or Instagram me or Facebook me, and I'll, I'll reply to you guys. It'll be fun. That's awesome. All right, uh, Austin James, again, thank you for taking some time out of your, your incredibly busy schedule. Oh, absolutely. I really, really appreciate it. And no, I had, it was my pleasure. I had a blast today. Absolutely. So one last question before we go. What would be the dream role that you would want to land? Uh, you got to ask me questions like that. that. You know, there are several dream roles because – uh, being a boy and a kid and you want to do, do like the action ones yeah. and you, you want to have that role and I want to be a superhero. You know, I think I could be a fantastic flash or a Spider-Man, you know, I could, I could pull that off. So if anybody's listening, that's casting any of those projects, look for me. Um, <laughs> I, I think one of my, not necessarily superhero, but action hero favorites. And this role is actually out there, um, is, is a young Han Solo. They uh, when they announced that I was like oh my gosh oh my gosh oh my gosh oh my gosh I got to get in on this you know because that's that's incredible um, that uh, to be able to play you know a young Harrison Ford and a young Han Solo oh my gosh all right that would be such an honor I'm gonna do you know we here we at, we we here at how is this movie are gonna do whatever it takes to help you land that role now yes when you do get that role and you become you know. Is, is you know as big as you would get with a role like that <laughs> you have to agree to come back on this show and and spend another hour and a half with us okay oh i, I hear you hear it uh, i'll do it okay i'll All come right. back i'm gonna hold you to that okay i'm gonna remind you a few years from now All right. okay so listen also again thanks for so much for coming on the show and um, and we'll uh well you know good luck to everything you're going to be doing in the future and uh and that's it thank you so thanks much thanks so much